welcome to the Champs App Podcast, where we help players and parents demystify the world of minor hockey development and recruiting for both girls and boys. We have a special episode today solely focused on player development with Brett Beebe from Rad Hockey. I asked Brett to come on the podcast to understand what makes a great player development team coach. In my opinion, there are nowhere near enough coaches that know how to develop players. And I wanted to learn from Brett how a true player development coach thinks and acts. This was an amazing episode with a lot of great insights, so I hope you get as much out of it as I did. Before we get to today's amazing episode, I wanted to give you an update on Champs app. We now have over 80 college coaches with verified Champs app profiles, most of them from D1 schools, and we continue to add more coaches each week. Once you create your beautiful, free hockey resume on Champs app, you will have a personalized profile link to share with coaches and teams or you can connect with team coaches directly within Champs app. Coaches not only learn more about you as a player, but they also get notified of your upcoming schedule, when you add videos, and where you are playing if you change teams. Just go to champs.app and click the sign up button to start or update your profile. If you wanna learn more, look in the show notes for links to the list of college coaches using Champs app and videos about why and how to create your free Champs app hockey resume. I am very excited to have on the podcast, Brett Beebe, the founder of Rapid Athlete Development Hockey. Hailing from Redondo Beach, California, Brett played his youth hockey in the Los Angeles area before playing junior hockey for the Waterloo Blackhawks and Chicago Steel. He then went on to play four years of college hockey at Western Michigan University before embarking on a three-year professional career in the ECHL, SPHL, and Europe. When he retired from pro hockey, Brett returned home and parlayed his passion of hockey into working with youth players in California. Over the past few years, Brett led his Junior Kings 2006 birth year team to win the PUE uh, tournament in Quebec in 2019, and last year coached the 2007-15 only AAA team to the USA Hockey National Championship. Uh, many of the youth players Brett has coached have recently been drafted to junior hockey and committed to play D1 hockey, several of whom will be drafted, hopefully, in the 2024 and 2025 NHL drafts. So no better person to discuss player development than Brett. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Hey, Brett. So um, before we get into the details about, uh, you know, coach player development, let's talk about your background and how you start playing hockey and uh, and then eventually made it to play college hockey. Sure. I think I've got a really kind of fun, unique story in that uh, um, I, I grew up playing with my best friends. We, my next door neighbors played uh, played hockey. They were a bit, a bit older than me, so I wanted to fit in and and, um, and and be able to hang out with them. So I, I put on my Fisher-Price rollerblades at probably three or four years old and putts around the backyard with them. Uh, fortunately, the elementary school next to my house uh, had a uh, outdoor roller hockey league in, the, in their parking lot um, on the weekends. And so I joined that. And, uh, and, and from there, um, that, that little roller hockey league built out a, a bigger actual rink. We use the border patrols and a ball. Uh, now they built out a nice outdoor rink and, and a bunch of us kind of followed them over there um and it's it's actually a great story it's like a disney movie we had uh um, my dad and, and a guy named bo bennett who played for the pittsburgh penguins for uh, quite a while and played in the nhl won a stanley cup uh, our dads formed a little travel roller hockey team we had two age groups and probably had about 25 players through that little travel roller hockey program and I believe we had nine players that got NCAA Division One ice hockey scholarships. One played in the wow. NHL and two Western Hockey League players uh, out of an outdoor roller hockey league in in Redondo Beach. So, 
Um, then the, the LA Kings built the Toyota Sports Center in El Segundo. So in about 1999, we all moved over to start playing ice hockey when we were nine or 10. Kind of got a late start. And, um, you know, just so the, is that when you started actually skating? Uh, you know, yeah, on, on real ice? Yeah, I had played a little bit of ice hockey because there was a small, there was a small uh, ice rink close by us. We played like maybe a season or two of in house um, there, and but didn't start playing travel hockey till I was ten. So I was second year squirt. Um, played squirt B and Pee Wee B, and then played Pee Wee AAA and AAA all the way through after that. So I, I got a late start. So I always, I think my my development model and and sort of. Um, Kind of how I work with kids is very centered around my experiences, both at the youth level and then um, playing in, in junior and, and, in, and, in, and in college um, and even professionally, you know, at the, at the levels that I played at, you know, I don't claim to be a, I never claim to be an incredible player along the way, um, but I just always worked really, really hard and got the most out of my ability. Um, but I think I was really fortunate to play for some really, really good coaches Um um, we won a youth championship with, um, with the California wave here when I was, uh, 15 or 16. Um, and then I played for Rick Bennett for, for a little bit, um, during a team USA five nations event. Um, Rick was the head coach at union and won national championship there, um, stayed in touch with him and, and, he, and he's been, um, you know, he was a, a real big help for me during my, my youth time. So being around him was, was pretty incredible. And then, in junior, I played for P.K. O'Hanley, who's one of the winningest coaches in the USHL. Um, in college, I, I was weirdly had three head coaches in four years. Um, two of those were were Jeff Blaschel, who is you know now coaching the NHL, and then Andy Murray, who had a you know a phenomenal run as a coach in the NHL and then in college. So, um, a, a big part of um, my development as a player and ultimately into coaching and player development was shaped by playing for such amazing coaches and really taking um, what they had and, uh, and, and and picking the best things I liked and then maybe leaving out some of the others. And another one uh, that, that I played for who's still a massive impact in my life is a guy named Pat Fershweiler. Um, Pat is the head coach at Western Michigan now. He was the assistant coach when I was there. And I think in terms of player development, I, I don't know that there's anybody better that I've come across than, than he is. I, I don't know that there's any program in the NCAA in the last, I would say, 10 to 12 years that has sent more undrafted players uh, to the NHL than the teams that Pat's been associated with. So uh, to be able to have him as a resource and all of these other guys, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so lucky. And, and the kids that play for me and that are in our program benefit indirectly from their influence in my life. So I really want to go into detail on, you know, yeah. many of those coaches that you just mentioned and what makes yeah. them, you know, what you learned from them. Um, but, but before we do that, I, I do want to take just a step back to what we were talking about starting playing roller hockey. So what were the, what, what, what really helped you um, as an ice hockey player from playing roller hockey? And then what, like, what, what didn't help you from playing so much roller hockey, but not enough ice hockey uh, when yeah. you were nine, by the time you were nine or 10 years old? Sure. I mean, <clears throat> The only thing that I feel like maybe I was a, a tad bit deficient in, at least when I got started, was skating. Um, I, I think hockey was 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 much less specialized, um, even at that time, in the in the later '90s, early 2000s. Like, you know, not everyone had a skating coach or a skills coach or or whatever. Like, I don't think I took a a lesson, uh, you know, a real a, like a real real consistent you know lessons or clinics till I was maybe 12 years old. Um, so I think maybe I started a little bit behind the eight ball. Um, but there's a couple things that I, I think, 
even at that age and, and now today, you know, genetics are, are certainly a part of, are, are a part of, you know, the, the development process. Like some people have fantastic genetics, like both of my parents were athletes. Um, and, you know, I always, I always had a ton of energy and I loved, I loved competing. So roller hockey and, and well, it didn't matter what sport it was, but like, I love to compete. I hated to lose. Um, and so I think when you have that competitiveness, that high, high compete level, um, you can catch up like you, you can really catch up in, in, in hockey, especially, um, there's a place for an overly competitive person that can keep up with the pace on any team. Um, so I, I think that's the one thing that I think I definitely had and that I talk to parents and, and players about all the time. Doesn't matter if they're 10 or if they're, you know, 16, if you don't have the high, high compete, then none of the other stuff is, is really going to matter that much, unfortunately. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so uh, you went through several coaches, maybe pick like the top three coaches that you learned the most from and, and what you learned from each of them. Yeah. I mean, the easiest thing to, you know, the easiest thing for me is, is to just touch on my college um, career because the, the guy who recruited me, who was the head coach at Western Michigan, my freshman year, he'd been there for quite a while is an unbelievable guy named Jim Colhane and Jim played a little bit in the NHL. He was a Western Michigan alum. Um, and, and ultimately, we had a pretty bad season my my freshman year. We finished, I think, in the last place in the old CCHA. And um, so Jim Jim was let go. He's still, you know, I have nothing but good things to say about him as a person. But after that, the hockey program at Western made a big commitment to having success. So they brought in Jeff Blaschel, who Jeff had just won um, at the USHL level. He's best friends with John Cooper, who's had a you know tremendous success in the NHL. And they share a lot of the same philosophies. And, and Jeff brought in um, Pat Fershweiler, who's, who's now the head coach there. So between the two of them, um, I think that in the one year that I had had Blash, um, Jeff, he, the one thing that he did that I've taken away and, and where I learned so much from him was he broke down the game in practice. So he would see stuff that we were maybe deficient in as a team or that we needed to work on. And he had this approach that he treated practice almost like an NFL practice where it's like you would work on segments of the game in practice. So he would break all of the drills that we did were segmented around one part of the game. So like if we really were working on our zone entries, like we would do two or three drills that focus strictly on different forms of zone entries. And then he would, he would break it down even further than that. So it wasn't, okay, let, we're just going to do three on two rushes continuously, which I see that a lot. Right. And, um, and, and I, and I don't think that that's the, I think that that's like step four out of a five-step process. Like if you don't know how to enter the zone properly with the puck or without the puck, um, then just jumping right into a three on two, even at the college level, like you're talking about, you know, guys that are playing NCAA division one college and, and Jeff goes right to the basics of like, when we have entry, you know, we want to kick the puck to the outside and our middle lane drive is really important, uh, driving off someone's inside shoulder. So he would, we would do a, a, a progression of drills that went from, you know, simple zone entries to all the way now to three on twos and two on ones or back checking, um, you know, and, and, and different, different things like understanding how to, 
how to how to how to how to create those end entries and, and how to create offensive chances. So he did that across the board in everything that we worked on. Um, it could be D zone coverage, it could be power play, it could be neutral zone play, it could be regroups, and you always kind of knew what options you had along the way. Um, and and Pat Fershweiler was our skill guy, so before practices, we always had position specific skill drills that we would do. Um, and they all fit within the system that we played and really just simplifying the game. And I think that we overcomplicate hockey sometimes. And a lot of it's pattern recognition and, and things like that. And that's what they would teach. And it it just clicked for me. And it and it and it's something that I work with our our players on all the time. Like for as chaotic as our game is, um, a lot of it's black and white, and a lot of it is um is okay, you know there has to be a little bit of black and white and then there's skill mixed into each of those, but it's a lot easier to play with a lot of skill when you know what two, three, four other guys on the ice are going to do that's black and white. And then you play with skill within that. And that's really what, what I took from them. Um, and then you have Andy Murray, who I don't know that there's a more prepared hockey coach in the world. Like you, we had meeting after meeting after meeting. And it's like, some guys didn't don't love that. Like I love that. Cause I wasn't, the overly skilled guy, like if I could gain a little bit of an edge by knowing what the other team was doing or what exactly I was supposed to be doing, um, it it was super helpful. Like we had game, like on the road, he'd slide game plans under your door. Um, that's what I heard. I heard that, it was like a binder that was like this thick that he would leave in front well, of the door. That's, so <laughs> actually that's, Andy has every practice plan that he's ever used in season by season binders. So each day we'd get a, we'd get a sheet under the door practice plan would be up on the whiteboard before practice and he'd quiz you on the drills or what the game plan was when we'd be in meetings like how long is drill number three brett and it's like well it's 11 minutes and it's this so like guys are rushing into the room to study the practice plan before practice uh because they might get called on and, and you didn't want to not know the answer so um you know I, I i love that stuff other guys maybe not as much but they you know the they, they they maybe didn't need it as much as I did. So between those three guys, that's the biggest takeaways is just like you can prepare and have a game plan for every single day, not just games. And uh, and then and then just, you know, simplifying the game and, and breaking it down to a granular level before you build it up. And I think as coaches, sometimes, you know, I, I hear people say like, oh, you know, where did this kid learn to play hockey or where, you know, I can't believe they don't know this. It's like, you can't believe what college players don't know uh, sometimes. Like, you, you really got to meet people where they are and then work work backwards. You can't just assume that, that everyone knows everything. Yeah, and especially uh, kind of this is why I have, I'm having you on the podcast is that, like, you know, I'm, I've been disappointed with how few coaches really know how to develop players. Um, so, actually, I'm kind of curious. What kind of player were you? Because, you know, I looked at your stats, and, you know, they don't exactly jump off the page in an overwhelming manner. So, you know, what kind of player were you? Yeah, um, well, I went, through a, I went through a roller coaster of roles. So, when I was younger, playing at the Bantam and Midget level, um, I was a super offensive player. Um, you know, I was the magic guy that had anywhere from, you know, 70 to hundred plus points in a season. Um, and, you know, I think again, part of my experience is now communicating with kids. Like I left for the USHL, which was an older league at that time with only 12 teams. Um, I left after my junior year. So I was 17, which that's, that was pretty early back then. 
And I went to an older an older team, and they were really good. We we had a really good team. We lost in the finals with the Clark Cup, and I had to fill a role of being kind of a fourth line player on that team because everyone had 100 plus points you know in their midget careers and things like that so unfortunately I think it really stunted my skill development and maybe the offensive skills that I, I had at the time but it it, it led me into playing a, uh, a a different role that ultimately ended up helping me you know play in college and play afterwards I, I was not a guy that picked up a lot of points I was um, I played uh, more of a defensive center role where I was playing against other teams' top lines, um, killing a lot of penalties and took a lot of pride in 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 doing those things. So that's kind of where I where I ended up and um don't have any regrets about it. But if I could go back and do it again, I probably would have played another year of midgets and and then come back into junior when I could maybe play a bigger a bigger role. Oh that that's an interesting point though in terms of uh you know when's the right time to go from you know the youth hockey to uh, the next level of hockey. Yeah, I think, and that's, you know, we can touch on that whenever you want. I don't know if it's something you want to talk about right now, but sure. um, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think that experience um, has really helped me to speak to kids on, you know, either, hey, you're ready to go, like, it's time to take that jump, like, you got to get out of your comfort zone a little bit, or it's like, hey, you need a little bit more time, and uh so, you know, and I think another person that really helped me with that is, is Matt Gilroy. Matt, Matt coaches with the U.S. national team now, and, and he helped me. He, he coached with me for two or three years, and he helps out with Rad. And, and he was a super late bloomer. He didn't go to BU until he was 21, and he was a walk-on. Um, wow. And so I think, I think you, you've got to have people in your life that are, that are going to um, that are gonna be honest with you and that are going to be honest in where you are as a hockey player and, and what your potential is but also be realistic with you. Um, you know, I think with the way that it works now with, with advisors and a lot of guys have skill coaches and, um, and things like that. Like if, if everyone's not on the same page and giving you the same message, uh, a lot of times you're going to go lean in to whoever's telling you what you want to hear. Um, you know, and, and I think that having skill coaches and skating coaches outside of your, your team coaches is fantastic. I think it's really well, um, needed, but, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily take, uh, advice from, from those guys without taking the advice from your team coaches and other people as well. Um, so for me, it's like, well, if you're once, once you are, once you are a top 1% player where you are, it doesn't need to be top 1% scorer. Um, once you're a top 1% player where you are and you make a difference every single game, then after you've done that for a little while, it's time to move on. Um, and, and what I mean by that is like, you know, you should get used to being the go-to guy for a period of time. Like it's okay to be the best player on the team, to have the most points or, or, or where the game almost seems a little bit easy. Feel that for a little while and then move on to something that's, 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 that's harder. But if you're constantly chasing the game at the AAA level or or you're not getting grade A scoring chances on a regular basis or you're not um, being a big, big contributor for your team, then, hey, like until you are, there's no reason to try to jump up to the to the next level. And you've got to have guys that will be honest with you um, and, and, and kind of let you know where you stand. 
And so let, let's say you're one of those players who isn't at the, 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 mm -hmm. the top, you know, the, the elite of the elite, um, and, and you're their coach. How, how does a coach like you balance like the team development versus the player development? Um, sure. So one, one thing which really stood out for me is, is and, and this is what I've heard from, you know, parents that you coached last year, is that at the early part of the year, you ran four lines. It didn't matter uh, at okay. the early part of the year how important the game was, how big the other team was. And you don't see that with most coaches. You, um, when, they, when, when it comes down to winning versus running four lines, they will pick winning every time. But you didn't do that last year. Can, can help me understand your, your thinking and 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 how hard it is to balance that team development versus the, the 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 individual development. Yeah, well, I think similar to what I was talking about um, with the you know breaking the game down a little bit. Um, I'm I'm very very clear with our parents and our players um, before they play for me what the expectations are from them and then what they're going to get from me and then how the season is 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 going to go. Um, I think if there's no communication between the parents and the player or parents and the coaches on what the plan is for the for the year, um, it's going to look really weird when I have our fourth line on the ice with a minute and a half left to go in the game uh, when we're up by a goal and I'm asking them to win a faceoff and get a puck out of the zone and then get into our forecheck instead of having maybe our top five guys on the ice. Um, but when it's been communicated that that's the plan, um, you know, then, then, Hey, there's going to be buy-in and you might lose some games. Um, but I think, I think when, when you do that and, and you communicate it to the players too, that, Hey, the way, the way I operate is until our Christmas break, everyone plays a regular shift Everyone, uh, for the most part, is going to play special teams. Um, there's there's some gray areas in that, but that's also laid out to everyone. And I think what that does is it gets players way more excited to play. Um, if you're a guy that, you know, every game you know you're not going to be on the power play and whatever else, like, why am I, why am I going to maybe play super hard for this coach or these, this team if I don't feel like I'm a big part of it? Um, so it goes back to that compete level. Like how, how do I know that a kid isn't going to excel on the power play if he never gets a chance? Or how do I know that a kid can't be a really good defensive player if he never has the chance to be on the ice at the end of a game? Um, and I think what it does is it, number one, it gives opportunity. Um, number two, um, it, it, it also, it, 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 what it does in my opinion is like it, it gets buy-in from the players because they feel like they're a big part of the team's success or failures too. Um, and when you have that buy-in and then I can get to January and say, Hey guys, here are the, here's our 10 guys that perform the best on the power play. Those are our top two power play units going into our States, our regionals, our tier one elite and nationals and all of that stuff. Here's the guys who are our best PK players. Here were the guys that were our best players up a goal uh, and down a goal at the end of games. And and we can go to the video. We can go to, you know, with Instat, with, with, with all of what they have, like we can go to that. And then the kid that isn't maybe on the power play, they can't say, well, I never had a chance. Um, and the kid that is, you know, or, and, and now if you're not, how do I earn, earn that back? Right. Um, same thing with other things. It gives everyone the opportunity. And now you have a body of work to say, Hey, you have executed, you're here, or hey, you need some more work on that. Like you haven't earned the right to be out there in the big games quite yet. And here's what, how we're gonna, 
you know, continue to work on that. So that's, that's my philosophy on it. And it's worked really well the last four or five years. And with that being said, I do know that I've been fortunate to have some really deep teams with a lot of really good players. And there's going to be coaches that probably watch this that say, well, you know, my third or fourth line is so far below my top two lines. And then I, I get that. I've been there. I think the only thing is, is you just have to, there, there has, when, when you're asking a kid and a family to commit to you and your team to, to join, there has to be a commitment back from the coaches to the players that like, I'm going to commit to helping you get better and improve. And that might, that might mean the team suffers a little bit here and there, but I think in the long run, it, it really does pay off. And, and you mentioned this, um, you know, using video to show folks what they do. I'm, I'm wondering how much individual, individual video that you do with players and how much of it is them coming to you versus you going to the individual player so that you work on their specific needs. Yeah, good question. I think each team that I've coached has gotten a different amount of that. Um, definitely early on um, when I, I didn't have quite as much going on in my life outside of hockey, um, I think we did uh, a substantial amount of video um, at the Pee Wee and, and Bantam level with the, with the 06 group, um, both team video and then individual stuff too. Um, Usually on the individual side, like I'm, I'm trying to pull clips and 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 show guys a few things here or there. Um, I've been fortunate to have Jack Jablonski, who's a Minnesota hockey legend. Unfortunately, was injured, and um, and you know is is no no longer playing. But Jack helps our team with a lot of video, so our kids can actually um, sign up and and watch some video with Jack, and he and he does individual video with a lot of the guys. Um, so we do we do a bit of individual stuff um, where. It's me pulling someone aside and saying, hey, I've been talking to you a lot about this. Like, here's what I'm saying. Um, but you mentioned earlier about your your daughter having to go, you know, find uh, coaches to, to either do video or to work on, on some skills that maybe she wants to work on or needs more clarity on. And I think that that goes back to something that's on the walls at the, uh, at the NCDP rink where it says, take charge of your own development. Like, hey the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Like, you know, we're not, we're not here coaching youth hockey because we're professional coaches and we're getting paid uh, a, a bunch of money. Like I, I, I promise you, uh, I don't have tons and tons of hours to spend on, on cutting video with, with, for everybody. But if a kid shows me that like, coach, I'm dying to get better. I, I want to play college hockey. I want to play in the NHL. I want to play in the USHL. Can you, work with me on some of this stuff, 100%, I'll find the time. Um, and I also think you're gonna get coached a little bit more and maybe a little bit harder if you're constantly saying, I want this, I want this, I want this, and your actions are backing it up. So it's a combination of that. Like we do a lot more team video than necessarily individual video. Now, usually when we're showing team video, it's um, themes. So if one player is usually either messing something up or doing something right, we're showing it to everyone and being like, hey, there's four or five of you that are doing this, like pay attention. Um, so it's kind of a combination, kind of a long-winded answer to your to your question. But um, but I would say like, if you're a player and, and you really want it, I don't know that there's many coaches out there that are gonna say, oh, sorry, I can't do it, can't do it for you. 
Um, yeah. But I think, and that really does separate uh, a lot of players at the youth level. Yeah, no, I, and, and I agree 100%. What, what I found is that when my kids are proactive about it, it makes a huge difference. Um, and, and the coaches are always willing to um, engage, um, but sometimes it takes, uh, you know, uh, the kids actually prompting them to, to make it happen. Um, so I'm actually curious, uh, what do, do you do, you know, either at, at the Junior Kings uh, club level or just in general for coach development? Like, how do you, how do you all get better as coaches? Yeah, um, I mean, geez, I've been... I, I've been lucky, right? So we've had a lot of um, a lot of individual, or sorry, a lot of team success uh, and, and individual success from some of our players. And I've been lucky because the coaches that I've 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 had with me are fantastic. So the 06 group was sort of my first foray into AAA hockey with the Junior Kings. Um, they played for a guy named Jeremy Doggaday before they came to me and and Pee Wee Major. And, uh, and Jeremy really put a lot of foundational stuff into place for them. So it was kind of easy for me to sort of pick up and run with it. But we also had Kyle Calder, who was our assistant coach, and Kyle played in the NHL for forever. Um, and and then uh, another guy named Chase Soto. And Chase um, had a great WHL career and, and played at a high level. And then coaching with, you know, moving forward, we had Matt Gilroy. And, and now with the 07s, I've got – last year I had Brad Stewart and – uh, Alex Miner and and Brad obviously played a, a long time in the NHL. Alex was a college player, and now I have Owen Nolan and Mark Hardy as my assistant coaches. Owen played fifteen hundred games, and and uh, Mark played a thousand. Um, so we work together. We we meet. We talk to. We talk. Get on the same page about things. But like, I give them all the freedom in the world to say what they want to say to guys and. Um, I don't really have to micromanage with having those guys there. Like the kids are lucky when they come off the ice and you've got, you know, Owen there with a whiteboard to be like, Hey, you know, next time you're in that situation, try this. Or Mark can pull a defenseman aside and be like, Hey, you know, your gap's got to be better or whatever else. Like it's really, really makes me, makes me look good when I'm, when I had, you know, I have nowhere near the resume of those guys. Um, but you have that kind of feedback and I can focus more on the team stuff. And then we collaborate on the ice and practice and they're getting feedback from multiple people. And I think that that is one thing that as we're kind of reshaping what the junior Kings look like. Um, one of the things that we're talking about is we don't want our assistant coaches out there just pushing pucks around for the next drill. Like we want there to be collaboration between the coaches. Like I don't draw up every single drill for practice. I'm I'm texting, you know, Mark and Owen being like, here's here's what I think our theme needs to be for the week. The kids are going to watch video on Monday to show that what we're going to go through. And, you know, can you guys come up with a couple things and I'll come up with a couple things. And now during the drills, we're able to, you know, you're able to have three guys pulling people aside one-on-one -on -one and giving immediate feedback instead of a practice happening where no one hears anything from the coaches and the only coaching that happens is actually in the game when you're just correcting mistakes. So that was a big Andy Murray thing where he had um, something in the coach's room that said, talk to every player every day. Um, so every player on our team gets feedback every single day um, in practice, in training, in games.
Beautiful. So you, you touched on this uh, a little bit earlier about, you know, the, the Junior Kings Club and how, how it's been evolving. So what changed from exporting players to top academies on, you know, heading east to now where uh, players are, are staying to play when they're 14, 15 or 16 years old over the last few years? Sure. Um, I think one of the big the big one of the big goals that I had when I when I came in to coach AAA as a, as a younger guy was um, so many guys were leaving after Bantam Major. That was kind of the kind of the tipping point was, um, you know, as soon as you hit Bantam Major, you know, California gets hammered by people coming in and trying to take the, the best players. Right. You get, you know, Shattuck has if you look at their rosters, I mean, it may as well be, you know, SoCal West or SoCal, you know, SoCal Central. Um, and and same thing with a lot of other programs like they come in and, hey, you know, if you want less travel, less school days missed, more affordable, you know, come here. Um, and that sounds pretty enticing. And what I found was it wasn't necessarily that parents and players were choosing these programs over the junior Kings per se. It was that they were choosing those things over not knowing what the junior Kings or Southern California hockey could offer them. Um, and there was a long time here in California where like, hey, everyone just stayed through 18s. And that was across the board. There was no tier three uh, junior hockey. It was, um, or, or there was, but not like it is now. So everyone stayed to play 18s and you graduated if, if you didn't go to the USHL or whatever. Um, and so there, you didn't really have to tell parents what was going to happen at each level. Um, there was like, kind of that old school, hey, I'm the coach and you're going to do what I say and don't question us and um, this is the way things are. And I don't think kids and families are receptive to that anymore. Uh, kids would never, you would never go to school without meeting with your teachers and understanding what your syllabus is for the year, nor would you go through an entire school year without regular check-ins and parent-teacher conferences and, um, and and finding out where you're deficient. You wouldn't wait for the end of the year to get a report card only to find out that you had an F in three subjects. And it's like, well, if I knew that, like I would have gotten tutoring, I would have gotten extra help, I would have you know, helped my kid more. Um, and so it's the same thing with what we're trying to do now is <clears throat> we're trying to be really proactive about talking to the families about what we're offering. So when I sat down at the 07s um, in November of their Bantam year, when I found out I was going to be coaching them and like, hey, here's the plan. We're going to play these events. I've got connections here, here, and here. We're going to have teams come in to play us. Um, I think we hosted like Shattuck, Little Caesars, uh, Omaha, Phoenix, um, Windy City Storm, a few other teams. So now we're playing 30 plus home games in California instead of having to get on a plane every weekend. Um, and we're traveling less. Our practice schedule is more manageable for school, um, and we're communicating this a lot earlier. So now when some of these other places that traditionally take a lot of our players are calling, um, the parents have something to compare it to, where in the past it was like, well, that sounds really good. We don't know what next year looks like, so we're going to go play for you guys. Um, I know that we're going to lose, um, you know, our top 1% to 5% to um, – you know, whether it be Shattuck or, or, or some other places. But what we shouldn't be doing is losing the next group of players. And if that top 
couple guys want to leave, that's fine. Totally fine. We want everyone, we, we want, we want guys that want to be here. And what we're trying to do is not only an organization, but working with other clubs in the area. Um, and this is something that I'm really big on here for the future is working together so that when players do leave, we're developing other players, whether it be in our club or, or, or with other, other people that we're on the same page being like, Hey, like, let's work together to, to try to eventually make teams where everyone can stay. And we're going to be that premier team, hopefully, and premier club. And we want you to develop those kids in your organization. And then at, at the end of the day, at a certain point, you know, we can provide them the right exposure and the right education and things like that, that unfortunately some other clubs just don't, can't do that. Um, so that's, I think that's ultimately the future of California hockey is, getting everyone to work together um, from a very early age all the way all the way up. So that's that's been what we've done and, and hopefully that will continue. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that the Kings are willing to make a, an investment into their um, in, into what we're doing because that's what it will take is not necessarily financially but just time and resources um, if we want to continue the blueprint of success that we've been able to have these last couple of years. Yeah, and, and I've seen it firsthand is that you're actually welcoming of these players who go and play elsewhere to come back because yeah. uh, I've been at the showcases in the summer where you you know, you know you want those players who have graduated to other programs to come back and then participate in your uh, your college showcase events. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, I, I try to very much separate RAD from Junior Kings. Um, you know, the, the RAD stuff is from, from, from a youth level, we provide the, the tournaments and camps and, and development models from 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 mites to about first year bantam and then and then the the the, the second year bantam all the way up is about uh, advancing players and then also giving them uh, a home base to train and skate and work out and provide um, community for them regardless of what club they play for um, and and I think that that's something that's much needed in a lot of markets that aren't you know Minnesota or Michigan or whatever else like you know in if, we're very territorial here in California unfortunately and. Um, my goal is like, I want to help the kids regardless. Uh, the junior Kings are, don't have to be the organization that you play for. There, lo there's lots of clubs that offer a lot of great things. Um, and so we want to, we want to be welcoming of everyone to come here. And, and if you leave, if, I, if I'm a coach and I'm a, and I'm an organization and a, and a family says, Hey, thank you for everything. But we believe that this opportunity is the best thing for our kid to, to, to go pursue. Like, what right do I have to tell a parent and a kid that they're wrong? Like, I may not agree with it sometimes, but I can't tell you that you're wrong for doing that for your kid. So, like, 100%, like, if you if you come in, do it the right way, and, like, you don't wait till a day before tryouts to let me know that you're going to go play somewhere else, like, you'll always have a spot here. Um, and, um, you know, and, and, and that's, I think that's just the right way to do things. Perfect. All right. So I'm going to ask one last kind of development yeah. question uh, sure. from you is uh, how do you develop confidence in a player? Sure. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think that that is what makes great coaches, to be honest. Um, and I think that you can't build confidence in a player until you know a lot about that player as a person. Um, and I think that if you don't take the time to spend with the players and get to know them, 
you aren't going to know what makes them tick. Um, I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means. Um, I, I'm very, um, uh, I'm, I'm very, very, um, I want to say kind of like in tune with how the players are as human beings. And some kids are more emotional than others, especially in today's world. Like, you know, the old days of screaming and yelling at kids uh, every time they make a mistake. Um, they, they, a lot of kids can't shake that off uh, as easy anymore. And so once you find out what makes them tick and sort of what, what is, how you're going to get the best out of them, um, you know, that, that could be through a lot of um, positive reinforcement. So some kids, they, they don't learn as much when they make mistakes, but when they, um, when they do something correct, like you've been working with them on something or you've been telling them, hey, you, you know, this is what I'm looking for, um, they're going to shut down maybe sometimes when you overcorrect them versus, hey, that was exactly what I was looking for. I want to keep seeing more of that. You have now set the bar here because you've shown me that you can do it. Anything less than that is now unacceptable. Now a kid's like, okay, like I, you know, I can, I can, I can, I can achieve this. I know what I need to do. Um, now that doesn't mean you, you, you can do whatever you want out there and not have, um, um, you know, consequences or whatever. But I think, I think when players know what is expected of them, they know what the consequences are for 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 certain things. Um, and I, and I, I think when you hold everyone accountable to the same standards, that's how you build confidence in players and teams. Like if 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 there's no gray area at the blue lines, like pucks go in and out, like can't can't make selfish plays at, at those areas. And and if you do make a selfish play, you're going to sit a shift. Like a player is not going to go into a shell if they sit a shift if that's what's been um you know uh, um communicate to them um and 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 similarly if you allow a player to get away with that but you hold another player to a different standard um you're going to lose a lot of confidence in in your players and and in your team so i think um accountability amongst everyone um is 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 huge and then from an individual perspective just i think you know i think at the youth level more than anything um just the players want to know you care about them, and so if they know you care about them, then, 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 then I think they're going to be confident. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to go through, you know, emotional times and highs and lows. But at the end of the day, I think if they know you care about them, um, you're you're going to get a lot out of those players. Beautiful. All right. So uh, just to wrap this up, uh, yep. maybe we'll just talk a little bit more about rad hockey. So, um, you know, your mission statement is all about providing a framework for uh, dedicated hockey players to advance their careers through camps, training and networking, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe just talk more about uh, some of your offerings. Sure. I mean, I think that that, I think that that framework and that mission statement is true in everything that, that I do. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that I make players great. I don't think that I personally and moving players on to the next level. All that we're trying to do, whether it be with the Junior Kings, our team, or, or with Rad, is, is creating the environment for dedicated players to have find success, find resources, and find like-minded players to push them. And I think if that is your framework, you are going to have kids that move on and have success and they, and they take charge of their own development. So 
when they come to us um, at the younger levels, um, again, it's it's the framework. We're not doing, we're not reinventing the wheel. Like our tournament teams go to age appropriate, skill appropriate tournaments. We bring in really good coaches to give feedback and we provide an environment for kids to meet new players, play in front of new coaches, play at a high level and push themselves out of their comfort zone. At the older levels, we provide the framework where we're bringing in really high level coaches to run events. Um, and also our college camp where we're bringing in, um, you know, D1 coaches and we're keeping the events small. Um, we don't we don't do huge events where um, we've got, you know, hundreds of players because we're uh, we have a big staff and we need to get everybody paid. Like Rad is legitimately me and I have a, I have some guys that help me as much as I as much as I need. Um, so we're able to keep our college camp, you know, small. There's four teams or six teams, whatever it is. And it's invite only, and it's there's uh, a, a vetting process. And so, if I'm a college coach, I want to actually go there to recruit and see these players play against each other. It's not something where there's, you know, 30 teams, and like there might be a couple of players on certain teams, and like you're getting paid a whole bunch of money as a college coach to be there and, you know, drink coffee and hang out. Like the coaches that are at our events are there because they want to be there. Their schools are paying them their, their travel and their, and their everything else to be there. So um, we just want to put, put those high quality events and that framework together for, for these kids to, um, to develop, grow, and, and ultimately, you know, hopefully, you know, continue to move forward. So it's kind of a, kind of a mites through midgets and pro. We sort of have the sort of a, a, a framework to push everyone up the ladder. Beautiful. And if folks want to learn more about you and Rad Hockey, how do they, uh, how do they find you? Yeah, just rad, radhockey.com. Um, I would sign up for our newsletter. We, we kind of push everything out through that. We have a, a Instagram is rad.hockey. Um, again, we don't have a big social media team or anything like that. So, um, you know, we, we, we push out our events. Um, we, we keep everybody informed through those two things. And then we update the website um, as, as they come available. But those, those, those are the easiest ways to, uh, to get in touch with us and find out what we're doing. Beautiful. All right. Well, Brett, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast, sharing uh, your, your hockey background, everything that you learned from all those wonderful coaches, your philosophy on, on developing players, and then obviously uh, your perspective on really what it takes to, to become a great hockey player. So thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity to talk about our program. I really want to thank Brett for coming on the podcast. He shared so much great information on coach and player development. I hope to be able to bring him back to do a deep dive on specific areas of skill development in the future. You can connect with Brett on the Rad Hockey website. Links are in the show notes.